A popular outcast production. Episode of the Portable Power Podcast. This is episode 49. We're recording on February 12th, 2016. I'm Kevin Seibert, and with me is... Emma Smith. And tonight we're doing a... What We're only, only going to be talking about one game, the game Stella Glow. Emrys, how are you doing? I am doing great. Uh, what are you drinking tonight? I am drinking my own tears. Oh... Because of this game that I want to play that's not working. Tell me, yeah, what's this game? Uh, XCOM 2. And uh, it's just not fucking working. It hasn't worked since it released. And I uh, pre-ordered it back in September. So it's just uh, pretty much uh, pretty much uh, a big bitch. Is this, is this a widespread problem, like, more than just you? Yeah, there's lots of people who are, like, having problems with it, and, uh... The, the, the really frustrating thing is that 2K hasn't really acknowledged that the crashing is a problem. Like, even, like, I've been talking to a support person at 2K Games for, the like, the whole week. I reported on Sunday, and they've been, like, telling me to do all this bullshit, like, repairing my Windows files and all this shit, and I just do it. Because what choice have I got? They're trying to help. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously, like, I just do the things and nothing fixes it. Because it's definitely a problem with their stupid game. But then they're like, yeah, well, have you tried uh, downloading your video drivers? And I'm like, yes, I tried downloading the goddamn drivers! Like, I downloaded the drivers as soon as there's a problem. As soon, Like, the first time your game fails... You're like, oh, I better check my drivers. It's probably the drivers. It's always the drivers. Download some drivers. And then I literally, they're like, okay, send me this text file. And it explicitly states what driver I'm using. And I said in my first email, I'm like, I've updated the drivers. I'm using beta drivers. Tried every goddamn thing. And they can see with their eyes in the file I sent them what driver I'm using. And they're like, hey, man, do you try to update your drivers? Hey man, did you know you're fucked? So like people are people are getting refunds for this game. Like I bought it through Steam, so you should be able to, to refund it. But the problem is that Steam is now reporting that I've spent four hours playing the game. So mm. they won't let me refund it anymore. Uh, and the problem the funny thing is is that I have spent four hours playing the game because at one point, for no discernible reason, the game just started working. And then it stopped again. Well, that's disappointing. Yeah, that that should cover about uh, how I'm doing, what I'm drinking, and what game I've been playing. That's not for the podcast. The game of drivers. Yep, drivers. 
I'm downloading new drivers right now because why not? Like, I'm just fucking... <laughs> well, I guess that only leaves us with the question of the week then. Yeah. Which is, um, what is the proper way to handle an underage anime girl in a hot spring? Well, the the only thing you can do is just turn your back and walk away. Just pivot on your heel and march in the opposite direction because there's no good that can come from interacting with a girl, an underage girl in a hot spring in any way. Uh, but what if she's anime? Yeah, no, no. Like, the best case scenario is that you're going to turn into a panda or a woman or something mm-hmm. if you get water thrown on you. I, I appreciate your Ranma reference there. Yeah, you could fall through a portal and interact only with a dog person. Uh, maybe. <laughs> But nothing bad ever comes of underage anime girls. Like, do, is there has there ever been an anime about some lecherous old fart who like pervs on a young underage anime girl and like actually has consequences? Like other than like getting slapped or maybe hit by a frying pan. I don't have a solid answer for what to do, but I do have a solid answer for what not to do. And the answer is don't leer at them. Don't climb don't ascend a wall and then stare over it at them like a fucking pervert. Because that's the definition of a pervert. It's not like a pervert. This is not a simile. This is the definition of pervert. Is yeah, this is a scene in Stella Glow, which is why I'm which is why I was asking. <laughs> I'm drinking a Weyerbacher Tart Nouveau Session Sour. The Tart Nouveau name is quite accurate because every time I take a sip my mouth waters. I I like it a lot. This this is actually um, the last bottle of a six pack I had bought for it, so I'm gonna be sad when it's gone. But uh, yeah, for the people who say that they're too expensive, try a Weyerbacher Tart Nouveau. I guess what I'm playing most prevalently. I'm still playing Splatoon quite a bit, but uh, aside from that, uh, Final Fantasy three for the Super Nintendo on the Super Nintendo. Found a relatively cheap copy, and I snapped it up. Nice. Like, it wasn't, like, an amazing deal. It was just the best one I've ever seen. And, you know, I like, there's something to be said for playing a game on its system of origin. Oh, so not Final Fantasy 3 is Final Fantasy 6, then? Yes. Oh, nice! Because or- originally 2 and 3 were for the NES, well, for the Famicom, and not released in America, and then 5 was for the Super Famicom and not released in America. So 4 for the Super Famicom was 2 in America, and 6 was 3. That probably sounded like madness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
Stella Glow was developed by Image Epic and published in the United States by Atlas. The package that you can currently get, I think this is the only way you can buy it as of right now, um, it comes in a box containing the game, a fabric poster, a charm of Boo Boo the Pig, and a CD with some of the songs, which uh, this whole package currently runs uh, $50. So it's a little pricier than your average 3DS game, but you get some neat extras with it. Nothing really essential, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a nice touch. So Stella Glow, the story of it is uh, it takes place in the fantasy land of Regnant. Um, 1,000 years prior to the start of the game, a god who lived on the moon became displeased when mankind stopped worshipping it in times of prosperity, so it decided to attack the human race, naturally. Yeah, of course. Right, that's, you know, you know how wrathful gods be. Amidst this crisis, a hero named Elcrest appeared and fought for the people and in the process gave up his life. So now um, he's sort of like a folk hero, like the people praise him as a hero or god or something. I, I don't know, it's a little it's a little hard to figure out what exactly Elcrest is revered as. But uh, as part of God's judgment against humanity, um, all song was removed from the world. And in the world of Stella Glow, um, song is what allows the use of magic. Like, there's no magic outside of song. Um, so now that song has been taken out of the world, the only remaining people who can sing are witches. And there are only five witches in all of existence. And uh, witches exist... Uh, through they, they their bodies contain a crystal known as a qualia, and the qualias are earth, water, fire, wind, and time. At the start of the game, uh, Hilda, the Witch of Destruction, and her followers, the Harbingers, are crystallizing villages over all of Regnant with Hilda's Song of Ruin. So, um, when Alto, the main character, uh, when his hometown falls victim to this, he joins the Regnant Knight's mission to to recruit the Earth, Water, Fire, and Wind Witches to sing the anthem, which is a magic song that will save all of the crystallized towns and return them to normal. Um, music plays a huge part in Stella Glow's narrative and gameplay. Yeah. And as if as if to illustrate that, like the main character's name is Alto. Alto can tune and conduct witches. Tuning them helps uh, helps them unlock more powerful songs to aid in battle. So you know, the, the the music theme is pretty heavy throughout the game. Probably one of the best things about the game is it has a highly likable cast of characters. Um, and like the main group are the Regnant Knights Ninth Regiment. So you know there's Alto, um, the Luke Skywalker chosen one character, who um, well has amnesia obviously because he's an RPG protagonist. Then there's uh, Lizette, the water witch, and uh, Alto is her adapt her adopted brother. Um, there's some weird incesty things going on there, but it's not really incest because they're not really brother and sister. But you know, like they've for the last three years basically have been. But they're it's important to remember when things get weird that they're not brother and sister. <laughs> <laughs> so there's Popo, the wind witch, who is the youngest of all the witches. She's 15, but she she's 15 going on 11 essentially she's uh she's been very much uh living in seclusion is incredibly mature uh i don't especially like her i find her kind of irritating um sakuya the fire witch and she's uh the priestess of um a village called amatsu in the game um and then there's mortimort the earth witch um and uh i don't want to get too much into her background because 
uh, like her reveal is uh, one of my favorite moments in the game's narrative. Uh, so I don't want to spoil that for anyone. Um, it's it's hard to spoil most of Cell Glow Story because a lot of it's very uh, telegraphed and predictable. But so in addition to to Alto and the witches, um, the other main members of the Ninth Regiment are Klaus. He's the commander. Archibald, he's this, you know, no-nonsense, like, heavy knight-type class, you know, who's very uh, driven by honor and duty. And then there's uh, Rusty, who is this roguelike character and, like, a real womanizer. We'll get into that later. And then there's Ewan, uh, the uh, boy genius entrepreneur, who's, like, a a businessman who's only 13 years old, but he's already incredibly wealthy due to his business genius. So that's sort of the, you know, the setting, the characters. Um, The gameplay is, like, a combination of strategy RPG and visual novel. And I say visual... Like, it's not really a visual novel in the sense that, like, like you don't really get a whole lot of choices in terms of, like, you know, like, you'll be talking to a character, like, you don't really get very many choices, and when you do, it's, like, one thing or the other thing. It's not, like, really multiple choice, it's just, like, you get two choices. And it's unclear, really, how that affects, uh, you know, the way the, the game flows. At least it's unclear to me, anyway. So... It's very heavy on story, and and that's how it's like a visual novel. Um, like there will often be like thirty to forty five minutes of story in between battles. Like as as much as I enjoyed spending time with these characters, I found it to be a little bit tiresome at times. It's not like the dialogue is especially cleverly written. I've definitely had worse video game dialogue, but it's not stand out by any means. So, like, the fact that everybody has to be like, and, and it really is just like, they're like, wow, this is great, you know, this is so cool, we can win now. Oh, I'm so glad we're going to win. <laughs> like, th- like there's, there's a scene about halfway through the game where a, a prominent character dies, and everyone, everyone has to say, I'm sad. I'm so very, very sad. <laughs> the appropriate response here is sadness. I need to be told by every character in the game that what just happened is very tragic. <laughs> Experience sadness now. Yes. This kind of reminds me, um, sort of tangentially, but uh, of Chrono Cross, uh, which was notable. I never notable. played that one. It was notable for having just a shitload of characters. Mm-hmm. And I remember at the time, I thought that was so cool. I was like, oh, I'm going to get all the characters. But like it quickly gets very exhausting when you're, like, trying to remember who does what, and then, like, oh, did I solve this guy's quest already? And it's really a lot to keep track of. It made me appreciate uh, Final Fantasy VII a lot more because it has such a focused cast, and you just spend all of your time with them. And even when a new character comes along, like that um, Cerberus guy, he is only, like, partially... Involved. Well, to Stella Glow's credit, um, it does have a pretty vast cast of characters, but I never found myself uh, forgetting like what character did what because they're all very distinctive, and they all have very well-defined roles within the game, like both within like the the narrative and within like the actual gameplay itself. Like you're never like the characters all look their parts. Like, you know, you, you look at a character and you're like, oh, she's very plainly the wind witch. Or, you know, you look at Archibald and you're like, well, obviously he's the heavy tank of the group. So and and they have skills that fairly well make sense with, you know, the um their characters. And and they don't have 
so many, like, they have enough abilities that they're interesting strategically, but not so many that it's overwhelming, or that they even have some that are, like, I can't think of any character that has a skill that I'm like, what the fuck is the purpose of this? Like, somebody who's just trying to fill a slot, you know? So, to, to, to their credit, um, they did handle the cast of characters very well, and I felt like all the characters are pretty well fleshed out, or they can be, uh, depending on the approach you take, but I'll get into that a little bit later. So, the game's divided into mission time and free time. The, the strategy RPG um, element, you know, battles, takes place in uh, mission time. Uh, and they're turn-based and handled on an isometric grid like Final Fantasy Tactics or Tactics Ogre. So, each character you control is a different class with, like, different movement ranges, skills, and functions. So, like, for example, Archibald, who I mentioned, is a heavy knight. You know, he's, he's a tank. Um, his movement range is low, but his attack power and defense is high. And he has this passive ability that um, prevents enemies from being able to walk past him for a turn. So, like, they can walk up next to him, and they have to stop right next to him, and then they can't move past him until the next turn. So, he's good for blocking damage for your weaker defense characters who deal heavier damage. He also has a passive ability that provides um, a certain percentile chance to negate damage to nearby allies who are under attack, which is useful as, you know, a as a tank class. Then there's Klaus, the commander, who's, you know, more of a paladin. Like, he has heavy armor, but not as heavy as Archibald's is. But, you know, he's the benefit of, he has, like, a healing ability, plus uh, his weapon is a spear, so he has better attack range than Archibald. And, like, Rusty is, you know, a roguelike character with, you know, high movement range and speed, uh, as well as, you know, a higher chance to evade attacks than average characters. But, you know, like, if he gets hit, he gets, he takes a lot more damage than the other characters. Um, so every character in this game has a support effect that applies to nearby allies. Um, so this effect, uh, you know, will also improve as your team affinity increases. And the way you uh, improve your team affinity is through the other mode of the, mode of the game, which is free time, which comes up periodically, which, um, it's when the game takes on more traits of a visual novel, essentially. Like, you have several options or things to do during free time. Like, you can, uh, take on freelance jobs to earn money, um, you can explore to find artifacts, uh, or you can spend time with your allies, which is absolutely the most important thing for you to do. Like, the other two things aren't even really worth doing in comparison. The exploration is easy to explain. You click Explore, and then it shows uh, a little segment of Alto standing against, you know, a backdrop of forest, and then being like, I found this! And then, like, some trinket or, like, potion or something appears. And then it goes in your inventory, and then you've explored. <laughs> so it's not really exploration in the sense that you normally think of it as. The sense that you normally think of it is where you explore things. 
Right, there's no actual exploration with the exploring. It's a little disappointing. Now, the reason spending time with your allies is the most important thing to do is... Well, there are a couple of reasons. Um, so y the way it works is you go to the night barracks and, you know, you see various different allies and at different times of day, you can talk to different characters. You usually have a, a, you know, a different choice, like a choice of like three or four characters you can choose from as your character roster grows at each time of day. So you choose the character you want to have a conversation with and then it'll go through like a little con you know a little chat with them and uh as you talk to them it makes your affinity rank with the character increase which unlocks new skills for them and it also powers up existing skills this is the only way that your character will learn certain abilities um like you know they'll learn others as they level up but their support effects and and you know other like usually passive effects will only become available after you build team affinity with them. For the narrative purposes, it builds up the character's personalities. So, like, Rusty, who I mentioned earlier, you know, like, the womanizer of the group, like, at the start of the game, he's, like, a very cookie-cutter, um, you know, light-hearted, womanizing drunk. You expect him to be, like, the comic relief of the game. Um, but as you spend time with him, you get to know more about his backstory, and he becomes a lot more three-dimensional. Which, it... Like, the characters are one of the selling points of this game for me. Like, I like the affinity system and the way it works because it's impossible to achieve maximum affinity with all characters in one playthrough. So what that means is you have to choose who you like and who you want to get to know better. It's a lot like real life where, you know, like, you have to choose who you spend your time with and, like, who your real friends are. Like, you have, you know, like, you know, you can't be close friends with everybody in real life, you, so you have to, you know, like, you, you have, like, acquaintances, and then you have, like, your inner circle, and Celaglow does a really neat job of simulating that. Cool. Also, during free time, you can do uh, what's referred to as tuning the witches. So, like, while you're gaining <laughs> affinity with a witch, you know, you're, like, you're talking and spending time with them, um, occasionally their heart will become blocked off to you at, like, set points in their narratives. Like, chains will bind their hearts. I know where this is going, but it already, like, sounds dirty to me. Yeah, well, <laughs> it, it, it it comes off very much like that, but... So, like, it, it appears as, like, these mystical chains binding the witch's heart, and you have to break these chains. So... Uh, like, this, these pop up at certain points in their narratives. Like, you get closer to the witches, and then, like, you go a little bit too close, and, like, their barriers come up. So you take them to this area called the Tuning Hall, where Alto can enter their heart and defeat their negative emotions to unlock new abilities and more powerful songs for them. It's, it's a unique element because the songs add depth to combat, and learning to conduct witches can turn the tide of a battle um, that's going horribly wrong. But, um... It all, yeah, you know, and like it also requires you to think a lot harder about unit placement since Alto and your chosen witch have to be adjacent to each other for this to happen in battle. So, you know, while while I like the unique side this gives an otherwise fairly by the books SRPG experience, it is a little problematic at times because tuning a witch and conducting them is incredibly sexualized. <laughs> like, it starts like so. The tuning sequence starts with. An animated, like, actually a really nicely animated uh, magical girl transformation sequence, but with, like, implied nudity. As if there's any other kind. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, so, and as Alto tunes the witch, many of them have a fairly O-face expression. Well, naturally. As they unleash, like, what appears to be a silent moan. <laughs> so, like, it's... 
it's really fucked up because like you know the oldest of these girls is 17 like they they specifically give you every character's age in the game there's no even real reason to do that that, but they just have it in there, so it makes it all the more upsetting when it's like, tune this girl, and she's making this O face, and I'm like, oh, she's definitely 15. Like, they don't even let you speculate on the age. They plain as day say that Popo is 15. <laughs> it's a fairly authentic experience then, I guess, because, you know, I mean, they, they didn't Americanize it very much, but, like, they should have, because it, it feels pretty icky. So, uh, yeah, anyway, once Alto enters their consciousness or womanhood, or whatever. He becomes privy to all of their secrets. And with that degree of intimacy, it seems really hard to believe that it wasn't intended to be a sexual metaphor. Like, I don't I don't see how anyone could argue that it wasn't. Like, there are, you know, powerful female characters in the game, but none of them really seem to have agency over what's going on. Like, everything's led by Alto, they're all being told what to do by Alto. And so it, it's, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It, it is very male-dominated, and that's something that I, I have a pretty big problem with about it imagine how sexist it has to be for us to be offended <laughs> yeah it's it's a fairly sexist game in, in a lot of ways uh and e even in like their conversations that that the knights have about like chivalry and and how the, it's their duty to defend ladies and you know it's it's my honor to defend a beautiful lady and uh, uh, gross what's an even more thinly veiled sexual metaphor though is conducting which is where Alto takes a magic dagger known as the Songstone and plunges it into the witch's heart while they let out an orgasmic scream. It's weird enough when you're doing it to, you know, most of the witches where they, you know, like, Alto, you know, like, cradles them in his arms and, and pushes the dagger into them and penetrates them. But, like, it's far worse when you do it to Popo, who, like, the whole time that you're, like, you're holding her, and you're like, Popo, and she's like, ah, ah, no, ah, and she's flailing and struggling as you penetrate her body, and then she's like, ah! <laughs> Senpai! <laughs> yes! It, so, I have some serious problems with that. Like, like if it was just, you know, innocent music, I would be fine with it. But there's a lot of really sexualized stuff that ekes me out. Also, I don't know if you guys checked out the character designs, but, like, did you see the character design for um, Hilda, the Witch of Destruction? And the tiny-ass thong? <laughs> She's the only one that isn't, you know, being statutory raped. Just regular dagger raped. Oh, beyond like the creepy sexual stuff for now we'll come back to it later i'm going to talk about the visual style of stella glow for a little bit because um although the characters are often hypersexualized, they are beautifully drawn and you know have a really appealing and distinct anime style like all of the characters have their very own you know unique look and they look like they you know have the sorts of roles that they would have. Like I said, like, you know, Archibald looks like he's 
the heavy tank, and, you know, Rusty looks like a rogue, and I, like, I, so I love the character designs. Aside from, you know, the, the Hilda could maybe, I don't know, she just, she doesn't live in a warm climate, it doesn't seem practical. Story sequences primarily consist of, like, you know, talking stills of characters with different facial expressions swapped out, and there's a lot of talking, but, uh, you know, I mean, at least the character designs look nice. Um, the backgrounds are vibrant, locales look like a lot of thought was put into designing the fantasy world of Regnant. There are a handful of scenes in the game that are animated, and they're phenomenal. I would have liked to see more, but DS memory cards are small and stuff, I guess. Sound in the game is... It, it, well, sound is the real selling point for Cella Glow. The majority of the game is voice acted, and I feel like... It's pretty well voice acted for the most part. That's refreshing. No, I, I found Popo's voice to be irritating, but uh, for the most part, it's very well done. The Japanese voices are not included, unfortunately. I'm sure it was a memory space issue. It's a long game. There's a lot of there's a lot of shit going on. The uh, voice actors really do bring their characters to life, which I think is important considering that the narrative is mainly like in still shots. And like I said, the, the voice acting is English only, but the songs the witches sing remain in the original Japanese. Now, I saw um, like some other reviews that said that uh, you know the reviewer found that jarring, but I, I didn't find it to be a problem. It, it, like, especially when it's a magic song, it doesn't have to be in the same language. In fact, I feel like it might take some of the mysticism out of it if it was in English. But yeah, and the songs themselves are good enough that I listen to them quite regularly. Uh, like, I just found them on YouTube, and I wish the included CD um, contained more than just the five songs that are on it. But that said, like, don't play this game with the sound off, or you will be missing out on a lot. Like, what what did you guys think of the music? Uh, to, to make the transition from game music to something you'd listen to, it has to be more than just, like, regular video game sounds. Okay, I, I guess I thought the music was better than you guys did. It, it, it may be that, like, I'm associating it with, like, certain parts of the game, because, yeah. like, parts of the, you know, parts of the story are definitely strengthened by the soundtrack and by, you know, certain songs. Like, you know, when, when you associate these songs with, like, like, a witch's true powers awakening or something like that, you know, that's kind of a cool moment, so, like, I associate that moment with that song. My, my opinions on the story, um is that overall it's fairly standard. You know, like, everything from, like, uh, you know, Alto having amnesia, and, uh, like, a lot of the other common anime tropes, like, you know, underage girls in revealing clothing, and, uh, you know, weird, lecherous older men who hit on them. E even down to, like, the, you know, epic fantasy story of, like, you know, humans versus this threat that's, you know, larger than life. So, you know, th the story is standard in that way. Like, it's not, I, I, I didn't find it offensively, you know, unimaginative, but it certainly doesn't contain many surprises. Um, like, the plot twists, um, I use that term loosely, are, fa are fairly telegraphed, but that said, there are character moments that are touching and very well written, which made up for that for me. Like, like I mentioned earlier, um, Morty Mort's character arc is sort of, without giving too much away, heartbreaking. Um, and made me like the character a lot more. I mean, this is, you know, we sort of touched on this a little bit earlier, but I will say that the story is more than a little exploitative. Yeah. Uh -huh. Um, because, no. like I said, the witches are all teens with the exception of Hilda. 
And while there isn't a ton of per- like, there's not a ton of perving on them, there's enough that I find it disturbing. Like, I mean, there's perving in the sense that, like, you know, the the gamer is supposed to perv on these underage witches. Yeah. Um, but, like, the, the characters in the game, for the most part, don't. However, on occasion it does happen, and the most egregious example is a scene involving a hot spring that is so cliche and disgusting that it hurts. <laughs> like, Rusty, who, like, up until that point, like, I had liked pretty well. You know, like, all the characters go to a hot spring, and, like, you know, the men are all in one bath, the women are all in another, and Rusty's like, hey, Alto, it's my job to, you know, teach you how to be a man. So, like, you know, Rusty gets Alto, and they're, like, peeking over the wall at at the witches while they're bathing, and it's, I mean, they definitely pay for it, but it's just really gross how, like, you know, these older men are, well, Alto's 17, too, but, like, Rusty's supposed to be 24 or 25, I forget, so the way he's, like, leering at these underage girls is really upsetting. That, and, you know, the aforementioned tuning sequences being oddly sexual, I don't know. So, like, that's upsetting about the story, but, um... Overall, like, if you play this game with a foc- with less of a focus on story and more of a focus on getting to know the characters, that should be where the enjoyment comes in. Like, if you play it expecting mind-blowing plot twists, you'll come away disappointed. But, uh, like, as you get to know the characters, um, this game has multiple different endings, and depending on the relationships you build up, you have different endings available to you. That's really cool. I- I've only gotten to see one of them so far. Like, I had to go online to read that there are different endings that are affected by, like, your affinity with the characters. But I I think that's a neat idea. And I'm, you know, like, I'm several hours into my second playthrough, my new game plus, and still enjoying it. So, like, and it's primarily based on the strength of these, like, little side stories with the characters that you don't even really have to do. itself, um, you know, like the battling, which I guess, you know, you would think of as the meat and potatoes, except that, like, you're battling for probably 30 minutes versus, like, 45 minutes to maybe an hour of, like, dialogue in between. The battling, like, if you like strategy RPGs, this one's a little on the easy side. Well, it doesn't do a whole lot uh, unique with the combat system outside of, like, the way songs are used in combat. But that said, like, I mean, it works. You know, it's a solid combat system. It has nuances like terrain bonuses and, you know, like the direction that you're facing affects encounter outcomes. I also like the support effects that units give you, you know, like for like, you know, if you have like your, your units grouped in close together, they'll give each other buffs and things like that, but buffs that only last as long as there's, you know, fighting near each other. So it does encourage you to put a little more thought into placement, like more thought than like other strategy RPGs might. It's a little disappointing that there's no customization to the characters. Like, you know, Klaus will always be the, you know, knight paladin type. Um, He'll always use a spear. Keith will always be your archer. So, you know, and every character 
learns the exact same skill at the exact same level up. Well, I mean, relevant to their class. You know, like, Archibald and Keith don't learn the same skills. I mean, like, Archibald at level 20 will always learn that skill, and he'll always get the same stat bonuses, and they will go to the same stats. And swapping out gear is mindless. Like, you you just either buy better gear, or you use gear that isn't as good. Um, there's no choosing which stats you want to focus on between characters. So a little bit of customization would have made it nicer like they, they have an orb system that's like materia for dummies <laughs> like you know your weapons have slots in them that you can put orbs in they give you like certain stat bonuses like oh your weapon can now uh it has like a certain percentage chance to poison an enemy or something like that but it's not i never found it to be crucial to even engage in that whereas like final fantasy 7's materia system was crucial to master yeah yeah and not not just crucial to master but fun to master right and the orb system in Cell Glow is less robust and, honestly, a little bit of a chore. <laughs> so it it gives less it gives it less replay value than you know more complex uh, class systems like Final Fantasy Tactics Advance yeah. because you're not like swapping out skills that are powerful. But at the same time, um, it avoids the pitfall that Final Fantasy Tactics Advance had of you know being able to make a character in such a way that, like, they're just an unstoppable badass. So, like, w- with Stella Glow, like, there is, there's a little more strategy to fighting than that. Like, no character ever becomes such an unstoppable badass that you can just send them charging into battle because they'll just they'll just die. Uh, like, you have to move them carefully. You have to move them in groups, and that makes it feel a little bit more strategic. But, um, yeah, that's basically all, all that I had. I Like, I you know, I, I can recommend Stella Glow if you enjoy learning, like, little side stories about characters. The, you know, the story may be pretty cliche. Um, the over, like, the super-saturated sexualization of, you know, the characters is troublesome at times. Like, there are, there are fucking tits everywhere in this game. Like, like, gravity-defying tits. Like, there's a scientist character in the game. Like, I, I was playing this game while my girlfriend was in the room. And, like, she looked over my shoulder a couple points, and she was like, I don't even know how that woman's tits exist. <laughs> like, they're so incredibly unrealistic. Uh, if, if you look at a screenshot of Veronica really quick, you'll see what I'm talking about. Like, her bosoms are just, like, spilling out of her outfit. There's no, like, there's no way that you shouldn't be seeing nip. And, and like, at another point, you know, I, I was in a battle with some angels, and the angels have tits for hair. And, and not, like, a pair of tits, but just, like, groups, like, like just bunches of tits. And, and there, it's questionable, like, it's at least questionable in this case whether or not, it's at least questionable whether or not these are tits. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to find a picture of this. You'll just have to take my word for it. But there are these, like, senior angels called Calamities. They're the really powerful ones. They, you know, they they lead the groups of angels that you fight. And they look like um, butterflies that didn't fully transform out of caterpillars. But if the caterpillars just had massive rows of tits under them instead of legs. So, like, everywhere where a leg would be just a massive tit with actual nipples. Like, I'm talking areola on every single tit. Just, like, rows of tits going the whole way. What? What are we even talking about now? We're talking about tits. Yeah. Pay attention. I, how could I miss it? I, I think we know what the art for this episode is going to be. Tits. Titties.
<laughs> Dem tar oss. The chubbly bubblies. <laughs> fun bags. <laughs> like it's you know it, it's a fun enough strategy RPG. Like it's it it's a little shallow compared to some others in the genre. Like it's definitely not as complex or difficult as Fire Emblem is. But then few things are. But like for somebody who you know hasn't played a strategy RPG and you know is interested in the genre and can and, and has a pretty strong stomach for some common anime tropes. Stella Glow's not a bad choice by any means. Like I, I, I've enjoyed it. I'm on my second playthrough, so I guess that says enough. Thanks for listening, everybody. Go over to portablePower.popularoutcast.com. Clear your cookies or use incognito mode. Do the shopping that you'd normally do. We'll get a small cut of whatever it is you spend at no additional cost to you. Help us get noticed. Go over to iTunes, rate, review, and subscribe to the Portable Power Podcast. Get in touch with us. Maybe you'd like to send us a game review request or your own answer to our question of the week. You can email us at portablepowerpodcast at gmail.com or use Facebook, facebook.com slash portablepowerpodcast or get in touch with us on Twitter at portablepowerfm. Drink responsibly and listen to the next episode of the Portable Power Podcast so you can witness what happens when people don't.